strands of hair, pizza crust, a belt, and a pickup truck, putting these clues together is what led to the recent arrest of a New York serial killer in a 15-year-old cold case that has stumped investigators for over a decade. A task force was formed and focused in on the cell phone data of the victims. What was found at the crime scenes and one witness statement in 2022 had crucial information which eventually led to the 59-year-old alleged killer Rex Hewerman and be named as the prime suspect. It was only recently that his DNA was able to be matched to the crime scenes and up to 10 victims were found along Gilgo Beach in Long Island, New York. Rex was only charged with three of the murders, but he was announced as the prime suspect in the fourth and the killer of the other six have not been mentioned or released yet. One or more serial killers were and are using that beach as a dumping ground. Will Rex Hewerman be connected to all of them? Will he be charged with the fourth victim? And it's, is it just a matter of time? Are there more victims that haven't even been found yet? And why did Rex Hewerman stop? What happened to these women? Let's take a look. I'm Linda with It's a Crime, so now let's get into it. In this case, there are four women who are the focus of the investigation. Three of them, Rex Hewerman was arrested and charged with first degree and second degree murder. And the fourth woman, he has not been charged yet, but he was announced as a prime suspect. All of these women were said to be online escorts. They were between the ages of 22 and 27 years old. Rex at the time would have been in his 40s. In 2010, a search for a 23-year-old missing woman named Shannon Gilbert, who was another online escort, she went to a client's home and ended up calling 911 and then vanished. According to Shannon's sister, she believes something really bad happened in that house she was in because she said that 911 call she made was right inside of that home. And she said on the call that they're trying to kill me. The call was made at 4.51 a.m. Two days later, Shannon's sister reported her missing. And while the authorities searched for her, it led them to an area called Gilco Beach in Long Island, New York. Authorities couldn't find Shannon's body though until December 13th of 2011, a year and a half after her disappearance. And they found her in the marshes of this beach. They have said that her murder wasn't connected though to Rex Hewerman. But the year before, as the authorities were searching for Shannon, they made other gruesome discoveries. They discovered the first victim in this case. And this discovery led to finding more victims with a total of 10 on that stretch of beach. Four of them will be about today's story. And in the investigation, the task force focused on the women's cell phone records. All four of the women had been contacted by four different burner phones and investigators found through using mapping technology that the calls were originated from two key locations that connected to Rex Hewerman, a location near his home, which was on First Avenue in Massapequa Park and near his office, at 5th Avenue and 36th Street in Manhattan. Rex Hewerman is a 59-year-old architect who has a wife and two grown children. He lives in a small, dilapidated Massapequa, New York home. He worked as an architect in Manhattan, and he's described by many as odd, a weirdo, and a man he worked for described him as controlling. Neighbors called him a loner who mostly kept to himself. Neighbors also called his house creepy and that they wouldn't send their children there. But even though Rex was married with kids, little did his family know that Rex holds sinister secrets and many of them. 
He was calculated and most of his plans came to life when his wife and kids were away. Rex got to play. And thus became the stories of four victims who are known as the Gilgo Four. The first woman to go missing was in July of 2007, and 25-year-old Maureen Brainard Barnes, who lived in Norwich, Connecticut, received a phone call from a burner phone. In fact, there were 16 phone calls from July 6th of 2007 to July 9th, 2007. And at around 11.56 p.m. on July 9th, Maureen's phone was last traced to Midtown Manhattan near the 59th Street Bridge. This was the last day she was seen and there was no cell phone activity. But in reports, it said that Maureen disappeared after checking out from a Super 8 motel. But three days later, on July 12th, Two phone calls were made from her phone near the Long Island Expressway in Islandia, New York. The calls were to her voicemail. By July 14th, Maureen was reported missing by a friend. Maureen's friend named Sarah got a phone call from a blocked number who said that he knew where Maureen was and that she was in a whorehouse in Queens. Her remains were found on December 13th, 2010 on the north side of Ocean Parkway near Gilgo Beach. When she was found, there was evidence of one strand of hair on her and Rex is the prime suspect in this case, but not charged yet. She is believed to be the first of the Gilgo Four. Two years later in July of 2009, starting on July 3rd, 24-year-old Melissa Bartellamy was contacted by a burner phone. She was not only contacted on July 3rd, but also on the 6th, the 9th, and the 10th. And during this time, on July 8th, Rex's wife traveled to Iceland. Melissa was last seen on July 10th in New York City. It was said she disappeared after walking away from her Bronx apartment. According to records though, the burner phone was traced back to Massapequa Park and Midtown Manhattan on July 10th. Now remember, Rex lived in Massapequa and worked in Manhattan. Later that evening, Melissa's phone was traced to Midtown Manhattan and then Massapequa. On July 11th, 2009, around 1.43 a.m., Melissa's phone made a call checking her voicemail in Freeport, New York. Later that day and also the next day on July 12th, Melissa's phone made two more phone calls checking her voicemail in Babylon, New York. Her body was later found in December of 2010, wrapped in burlap. Then seven taunting phone calls were made by a man to Melissa's family on July 17th, the 23rd, August 5th, the 19th, and the 26th. The phone calls were traced back to Midtown Manhattan, and during a call, the man admitted to killing and sexually assaulting Melissa. John Kelly, who's an internationally recognized criminal profiler and psychotherapist, was interviewed in 2016 by People Magazine Investigates, and he talked about the call, and he said that he asked her if she was a whore like her sister. Melissa's teenage sister, Amanda, was only 15 years old at the time, and she started receiving these disturbing phone calls from this mysterious male caller who confessed to Melissa's murder. The calls made from Melissa's phone became a crucial lead in the investigation, but then the case went cold. The calls to Amanda never lasted more than three minutes, and they became vital evidence for detectives and behavioral analysts so that they could study the personality of the suspected uh, serial killer. Melissa's mother, Lynn, shared how the phone calls terrified the family, but she had been vague about the details until now. And in the last call made at about 1 a.m. on August 26 of 2009, they lasted 40 seconds. The caller confirmed the family's worst fears, 
stating that he had killed Melissa. And the caller taunted Amanda during this call, asking if she thought she would ever speak to her sister again. Amanda expressed hope of speaking to Melissa, to which the caller revealed that he had killed her after having sex with her. This information was initially kept hidden at the investigator's request to avoid compromising the case. Now, what's interesting is in between these phone calls, Rex's wife returned back home on August 18th from her vacation, but more calls were made the next day on the 19th and the 26th. It's really chilling. And I wonder if his wife noticed any behavioral differences at all. Then on June 4th, 2010, Rex's wife traveled to Maryland. And the next day on June 5th, the third victim, 22-year-old Megan Waterman, was contacted by a burner phone that was newly activated. She just placed an ad on Craigslist that day for her services, and Megan continued communicating with the burner phone until June 6th. That was the last day that she was seen, and surveillance showed her leaving a Holiday Inn in Hophog, New York, at 1.30 a.m. It said that she shared this with a boyfriend. Her phone was traced back to Massapequa Park, which was in the area of Rex's house, and was traced at around 3.11 a.m. Two days later, on June 9th, Rex's wife returned home from her Maryland trip. Now, reports from my researchers saying that there were two strands found on Megan, male hair recovered from the bottom of the burlap used to wrap her nude body. Two and a half months later, on August 28, 2010, Rex's wife now traveled to New Jersey, and on September 1st, Victim number four, 27-year-old Amber Costello, was contacted by a burner phone located at West Amityville and Massapequa Park. According to court records, Amber received the calls at around 11.33 p.m. and 11.34 p.m. According to People Magazine, she negotiated a $1,500 date with her alleged killer before she walked out of her Long Island home on September 2nd. Shortly after the call, the burner phone was traced and traveled to West Babylon, where she lived. She was contacted again by the burner phone at around 12.05 a.m. on September 2nd. This time, this encounter was different. According to witnesses, Amber's client entered her home and a man she knew was pretending to be her boyfriend and pretended to be mad after she received the money from the client. The client then left the place. And the idea was to follow through with the plan of chasing the client away while keeping the money and then no sex would actually occur. Now, according to a witness, the client stated that he was just her friend and said that to tell her I'll give her a call as he left the place. And that client was described as a large white male who stood approximately 6'4 to 6 foot six in height and was in his mid-40s with dark bushy hair and big oval style 1970s type eyeglasses. The witness said a tall man with dark bushy hair who looked like an ogre came out of the house. Now note, Rex is six foot four and back then he was in his mid-40s at that time. The witness also said that the client drove a first generation Chevy Avalanche, which was parked in the driveway, and it just so happens that the vehicle is what Rex drove. Around 1.18 a.m., Amber receives a text message from a burner phone that said, that was not nice to do, do I get credit for next time? And the phone was shown to be located in Massapequa Park within two minutes of the text message being sent to Amber. Later that day, Amber was contacted again, and the witness said that Amber told us that he wanted to see her again, but he didn't want to come back to the house because of her boyfriend. 
The witness also said Amber was contacted by the burner phone four times at night between 9.30 p.m. and 11.17 p.m. with calls being tracked and traced back to Midtown Manhattan, then Massapequa Park, then West Babylon. And on the night of September 2nd, Amber received a call from the same client and she left her house. Soon after that, a witness saw a dark truck pass by the house and that was the last time Amber was ever seen. And later on, her body was found also on Gilgo Beach and it also says that there was hair that matched not just Rex, but the wife. A few days later on September 5th, Rex's wife returned to New York from New Jersey and all four women were found similarly positioned and bound by either belts or tape. Three out of the four women were wrapped in burlap and three out of the four was also said to have hair found on them and not only leading back to Rex, but also Rex's wife. But the wife was ruled out from her cell phone that was traced, you know, away out of town while these murders happened. Authorities believe that she has nothing to do with the murders, but I do have a weird thought though about this and about the hair. It wasn't just once that her hair was found on the victims and I, I got this idea that I wonder if it's some sick plan or some sick idea the way maybe he planted the hair. It's just a thought. I mean, I wouldn't put anything past this guy. There's some weird stuff with this guy. But since she's his wife, it's easy to get hair on him. But I do find it interesting. What do you think? Let me know below. But there's a common denominator in these cases. The hair found, the three of them wrapped in burlap, the positions, and placed in actually in prox uh, close proximity to one another. All were petite from 22 to 27 years old. They all worked as online escorts and would use Craigslist, all contacted by burner phones and all bound by tapes or belts. Now let's talk about the DNA because the breakthrough in the case came when investigators obtained DNA samples from the suspect and his wife through objects that were discarded, pizza crust linked up to Rex and bottles linked to his wife. The district attorney explained it and said that these hairs were found at the crime scenes. They matched Rex and his wife's mitochondrial DNA profiles and said this high level of matching left over 99% of the population to be excluded as suspects. The DA discussed also the two possibilities of both of their hair strands being at the crime scene first by hair transfer. He said that Rex came in contact with his wife's hair possibly and then the hair unknowingly transferred to someone else or second, their shared living spaces like the house or car could have led to direct transfer. So since his wife was away at the time of the murders, the question is how did her hair end up at the scenes? And the DA said her close proximity to her husband was the reason her hair was found at the scenes, not that she had involvement in the crimes. The authorities have been searching his house since he was arrested in mid-July and they are finding all kinds of things and weird things in the house and discovering more and more every single day. I think as of the time of this recording, they're just wrapping up their search there. It's been noted that they have found some very bizarre pieces of evidence that was taken out of the home, and that's only what we've seen publicly. I'll have to dive it into it in another video, but his wife has since filed for divorce. I can't imagine getting that news, what it would be like for her. And I do wonder how he hid his money paying for these girls. It would be interesting to know some of these details. You know, did his wife notice his odd behavior? Did his children notice there's some weird behavior? Is he getting more odd? Was he always like that? And most of all, I wonder why did he stop or did he? The authorities are now looking into other states to see if there are more victims. There very well could be, what do you think?
As for the other six victims, there was a woman who was missing since 2003, also an escort, and a woman who was unidentified and dismembered, and a baby girl was found. An Asian man was also found and dressed in women's clothes, and there was a female skull found and also a bag of bones. Rex will appear in court on August 1st, so just next week. And final thoughts, what did he do in between the wife's holidays? You gotta wonder, and how did he spend his time? Are there more victims? As I mentioned earlier, you, I wonder what kind of money trail he left and um, you know how he was paying for all these girls. He does have property, it was said in South Carolina, a timeshare in Vegas, and the authorities are looking into connections in Atlantic City. This might just open the can they need to link him to several people. And from what I've seen and how disturbed this guy is, I have to believe there's more victims. I, I don't know if I believe that it just stopped in 2010. He liked to taunt. He has some disturbing internet searches. He chose a certain type of woman. And I do wonder if there are more, if they are even the same as back then, or maybe he's adopted or adapted to different type. It will be interesting to see. And at the very least, these families will now be able to know who's responsible for their loved one being murdered. Some of these girls were moms. Some of them were just trying to survive. And no matter what they did for a living, no one deserves to die like this. I'll have a playlist on the case right here. You can check out below. And thank you so much for watching. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you in the next video.